Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. All right. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Opus Private Client Wealth Style Podcast. My name is George Papanikolaou, and I am your host for today. Today's discussion is on the NIL rule, uh, which for those of you who don't know, uh, give college athletes the ability to profit off themselves. Um, and to discuss today, I have a good friend of mine on, Chris Ward. Uh, Chris is the co-founder and chief revenue officer of the Publisher Desk, which is a full-service technology and monetization platform for content publishers. So Chris, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, George. Great to be here. Before we get this started, uh, why don't you give us a little info about yourself, uh, about the Publisher Desk, and what you guys do? For sure. Uh, so I've, I've been in this advertising publishing game since 2007. I started at News Corp and went on to an ad network to get a bigger picture of the market. After that, I went back to one of my former colleagues and said, Jeff, I think there's an opportunity here to help people do what they should do. Right, everything that we've learned at the biggest publications in the world. Let's help small to medium-sized publishers do what they're supposed to. In 2019, uh, one of our publishers came to us and said, "Hey, I'm thinking about selling my sports website, sportsnot.com, uh, N-A-U-T, like juggernaut." And we said, "All right, we're in." And so that was our first foray into a real owned and operated property and buying a sports website in November of 2019, right before the entire sports world shut down, was uh, an awesome thing to, to go through and understand how to keep monetization going, how to keep the lights on, what was in store for the sports market and, and advertising in general. Uh, and it was really cool to come through that uh, with the team and, and really bring value to our clients and, and understand the pivot into sports that we made and, and how we've thrived through what was a, a very difficult time for everybody. Awesome, dude. And, and, and so everybody knows Chris and I have, have had this conversation a little bit uh, on the NIL rule in the past. And so this is for ruling came out in end of year, 2021, I think it was September. And Again, for those who don't know, name, image, and likeness. So now college student athletes are able to profit off of that. You know, I say everybody, whether they're sports fans or not, has some version of sport that they love. It could be, you know, uh, some type of Olympic sport, you know, something. I, I Personally, I'm a big fight fan. I love the MMA, love boxing. Those are the things I follow. So it, it was interesting to see now the love for college sports i don't know if it gets if, if it it gets exaggerated but with the ability for college athletes to benefit from their talents like how does that change the game chris how does like a company like nike quantify what what an athlete's worth 
Well, I think it it makes everyone step their game up from the conferences to the schools, to the brands, to the athletes themselves, to the, the opportunity that now presents itself that people were making money off the backs of the, the student athlete forever. And now I've always been a, a proponent of you got a free college education. What you do with that college education and your performance on the field is, is, is what you need to go and focus on. Right. My parents, I wanted a job, you know, so bad that my parents would say your job was to get good grades. And so they helped me, you know, <laughs> go mow the grass. I'll give you 20 bucks. Right. It was really for these athletes, the opportunity to turn around and say, Hey, look, all of these other people have been making money off of me. I'm going to be able to make money off of me. And how do I do that? Right. Your Nike example is an interesting one because the school's deals supersede the athlete's deal. So if an athlete goes and does a deal with Nike, in order for him to fulfill his requirements to Nike, he can't go to a school or she can't go to a school that's sponsored by Adidas or Reebok, right? If they want to keep that Nike sponsorship, that limits the schools that they can go to based on who Nike has an affiliation with. Hmm. Interesting. One of the more interesting things that has been going on is around the conferences, right? So I was, I was doing some research ahead of this, this chat and looking at the big 12 and, and how they're looking at, you know, they've gained university of Houston, university of Cincinnati, and they're, they're looking at as far as, you know, household reach and, and, and what happens within that. And that starts to come back to, where an athlete decides to go to school and, and, you know, how much money they can make based on how big their platform is. Right. And are they going to a D3 school, a D2, D1? It was, it was funny to see that some D3 athletes are actually making more money than, than D2 or D1 athletes. I was, you know, again, doing some research and, and there's a uh, Raekwon Smith at Norfolk state, which is a historically black uh, university. And, you know, he said, look, I, I know I'm not going to get the same dollar per deal, but I can do a hell of a lot more deals. And so, you know, he partnered up with a marketing agent, which doesn't require the same level of licensing that someone does in order to do a, be a business manager for someone in the NFL or the CFL. It's completely unregulated. And it's up to the student athlete and the school to regulate the deals that the athletes are doing. So as it stands today, it's the wild west. Well, Chris, is is the is the school acting as a fiduciary for the athlete? The school is making sure that the athlete does not violate their existing deal. And it's completely self-reporting on the student athlete to the school. And so there's a bunch of platforms that have popped up that schools are using to get their athletes to report the deals that they're doing. And it's on the school to catch an athlete. Take, for example, somebody with a school that has a Nike deal and an athlete takes a Reebok deal and they go and post on social media. They're, they're in the clear until the school catches them. Right. It's really, it's the term I was looking for was NIL collectives. I'm sorry. And so we are, is a collective for Penn State athletes. 
And so these NIL collectives have turned into quasi booster clubs that are able to directly pay the athletes. So the old school envelope of cash that a booster would, you know, leave in a car with the car keys is no longer the way it's done. You, as an athlete, join the collective, the alumni put the money in, a local car dealer becomes a sponsor, a check is cut, you pick up the car, you drive it to the game, you post it on social media, and you get your check. Well, so to that point, right, what kind of opportunity does it open up to localized businesses, right? Can't like the, like you actually said, like can't like the local Ford dealer now get, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner to, you know, jump into an F-150 and say, yeah, I bought my truck here at, you know, so-and-so's Ford dealership. Well, the thing is, is that Heisman Trophy winner, Ford is probably going to do the deal with them, right? They're right. going to get that deal from Ford. Nissan's House of Heisman, right? We all see the commercials on College Game Day. It's going to continue down that road, depending on you know the school you play for and the level of athlete you are is going to decide whether it's the national brand coming to you or it's the local car dealer, right? And whether you're you know a D three school or your Notre Dame is going to decide what athletes are getting approached by what brands. And so those are the types of things that we see as the opportunity in this conversation for folks to understand what is value and what drives return on ad spend. Because at the end of the day, these are folks who do have a product to sell and they're looking for a new marketing channel that's got a ton of hype around it to drive sales. At the end of the day, yeah, the... the the new version of a booster club isn't there to make money, but the car dealer that gives the car, they got to make something back. And so the idea is that it comes back to tracking, right? And so as these deals are done by the advertisers, whether that be a local car dealer or Ford corporate, there has to be some sort of return on ad spend that that metric is being tracked and that they're understanding you know, the earned media that's coming from these, what are now athlete influencers are driving for them and, and does spending in this arena bring profitability to them, you know, as, as a recession has hit or is hit or whatever you want to choose. Advertising is the first thing that typically is cut by a brand. I think things are a little different in COVID because folks had to pivot their businesses and flip to a digital model. And the only way to tell people that you were still open for business was advertising. And I think a lot of businesses pivoted during COVID. And I think that there could be less of a hit to the advertising market uh, in an economic downturn because businesses are still in this transitory period of going from brick and mortar to digital. And athlete influencers are a great way to, to capitalize on that. And when you can get a social media post for 50 to 500 bucks, depending on the scale of the the athlete's social accounts, it's worth a flyer at some point. And then from there, it's deciding whether or not that that flyer you took on whichever, you know, athlete 
worked. And if it worked, okay, great. We're going to sign that athlete. We're going to expect deliverables on a monthly basis. We're going to want him to do events. We're going to want her to show up and film certain things, be our brand ambassador at events, work with us in the off season. All the things that come from doing a simple video is how someone gets their foot in the door. It's really, it comes back to the sales process in advertising. Right, These athletes are reaching out to brands saying, hey, I can represent you. I have a creative message. Here's my work, my portfolio. This is what I've been able to do for brands in the past. I've driven X number increases in followers and likes and YouTube streams. Whatever the metric is that the, the brand is looking to move, it's on the influencer, the athlete influencer in this case, to show those metrics and be able to drive return on ad spend. And if it doesn't work, then advertisers are going to stop doing it. But while it is still cheap and disjointed and the influencer agencies that have popped up all over the place, it's still incredibly hard to buy at scale in this avenue. And so the the more folks that are out there sort of aggregating these, these athletes into collectives that are bringing them into influencer marketing agencies and creating divisions to support the student athletes a lot of the athletes are just taking it on themselves or their, their support staff that's around them, their friends since they were five or their, their mom or their dad or whoever is stepping into this role as business manager if the athlete isn't doing themselves. Well, so it's funny because I, I, you made me think of a couple of different things. I'll start with the first one just because you, you, you kind of just touched on that. So wouldn't it be, and this is something you and I talked about before, wouldn't it be in the the university college's best interest to integrate other part other departments into this whole process, like the business department, the marketing department, and merge them or or have them work directly with the athletics department so they can essentially bring more profitability but also more education to the school? Um, so in in going back on that conversation we had and sort of looking deeper into it, one of the big caveats in this rule is that the school itself cannot bring a deal to an athlete, right? Now the question there becomes is the gray lines of what can that school help facilitate, right? Can, can a marketing major be an intern for an athlete and help them with their social media posting? Yeah, it's like gray, the NIL yeah, yeah. collective. Can the can the school itself exactly. create an NIL collective with students and actually be? Is that like a? So you're saying it's like like maybe a, a gray area so think, in the rule? Think about it as the the NIL collective is a super PAC over here, and the school is the politician over there, and they amazingly go in lockstep, but no one's allowed to talk to each other. Right? <laughs> it's a <good> um, comparison. <laughs> it, it it's identical. And can students in the marketing department, the finance department, the business department be interns at that NIL collected? Absolutely, right? You know, I graduated college in 2007. The idea of a digital advertising degree or influencer marketing degree was absurd. And as soon as I started, you know, in the industry, my, my first interview was, this is a 728 by 90. The ad is 728 pixels by 90 pixels tall. This is what we sell. And I was like, okay, I can, I can do that. And the idea that later on that there would be colleges that would be able to talk about 
attribution modeling and return on ad spend from Facebook versus Instagram versus Google AdWords and, and how to do multidimensional attribution and, and have someone come out of college with a degree that was able to understand anything that just came out of my mouth was unheard of in 2007. In 2022, I've got people joining the company straight out of college that are like five years into where I had started and they're able to run regression models and, and, and do crazy things because they've been buying advertising as part of their internship and growing newsletter lists and doing all the things that are necessary to facilitate what these athletes are going to need. Because at the end of the day, the same thing happens, you know, when someone graduates and goes into the NFL and they get hurt or someone gets hurt in college, the athlete's relationship with their fan base becomes the thing that they own, right? The NIL allows them to monetize that. They're now able to monetize. And it's not even so much their name, image, and likeness. It's their fan base, right? Yeah. It's who they connect with and the, the brand's, that align with their message and their personality and who they are, right? The one upside that I see to the NIL is I think it is an absolute behavior corrector for any athletes who found themselves in trouble in the past doing dumb things. I mean, just push the Uber button, please, right? They're going to be way more mindful of the ramifications of their behavior at a much, much earlier age because it's going to affect how they get paid and how much they get paid and what brands are going to want to work with them and what their future is going to look like. And I think it's the NIL is a wake-up call to student athletes to go, oh my God, I can't be around this bad thing that's going on because if, I, if I'm at all associated with it, I'm going to lose all of these marketing dollars. And I, I think it's actually a good thing from oh, yeah. the, the advertiser perspective and the, the, the brand and the schools. And I always follow the dollars, right? If you want to you get someone to behave real well, you pay them. And then you say, hey, if you don't do you know, what you're supposed to, you're going to lose this revenue stream. They're going to think twice before getting behind the wheel after too many drinks or, or going somewhere they shouldn't. Well, you know, and the other part I was thinking was you, you were talking about financial education. So it's a huge problem pretty much globally in the United States, it's a real big problem. And it's been a little bit more vocal in, in, in the professional athletic space. Do you think that this will encourage more athletes to stay and finish school because they don't have to necessarily rush into the professional uh, uh, arena just so they can get paid? Cause that, that's the problem is I know it, uh, I can't remember the basketball player's name. He was on the, uh, the price is right. And he couldn't read any of the, the things on there. And they were, they were mocking him on social media, but it was because he went, I sp think spent a month in college and then went in right into the NBA. Right into the NBA yeah. I think the, the bigger piece of it is, is, you know, and my mind also goes to, you know, the Eddie George story, right. You know, the, the folks that got taken advantage of by their business managers and, and, you know, wound up broke because of financial advisors that didn't do the things that they should do. Right or weren't equipped to do the things they were doing, or they gave their money to their best friend since they were five. And turns out he had a huge gambling problem, <laughs> you know? So it, it comes back to 
individual responsibility and and at the end of the day if you're a, a social influencer whether you're an athlete or a, a publisher or whatever the advertiser is advertising with you because of your brand and you are your brand and it's your name and your name is what someone is paying you for and they're licensing your name to make a video right or to make a post or do an event or become the brand ambassador. And it's important for these athletes to know that they are building a brand. They are building an audience in anything. The wind could shift in the other direction by 10 degrees and all of a sudden they're persona non grata, right? And so it's important for, for athletes, for brands, for publishers, for everyone to be doing their best and, and learning how to spend money responsibly, what production costs are, what return on ad spend means, what are the KPIs and metrics that these brands are looking at that judge success, and the, the financial responsibilities of running a business, right? I have a business undergrad degree. I excelled in economics and finance, at the end of the day, I didn't have one class that I took that they told me how to form an LLC <laughs> that told, told me how, you know, mom and pop shops run their businesses, right? And these student athletes are going to get a crash course in U.S. tax code and whatever state they live in. And if they don't, I mean, there's a, you know, not to bring up only fans, but you know, there are, are, are folks that have been making money on the internet that go, oh my God, I have to pay taxes on this. You know, it's, it, it was a huge story. They, they were getting, you know, two, $300,000 tax bills because they didn't put any money away and they were 1099s and they'd been collecting money through Stripe, PayPal, Venmo, whatever. And now all of a sudden, because of new regulations and know your customer and whatnot, the government goes, uh, excuse me, all of that wonderful internet money you made, 40% of that's mine. And so no one was telling you know these student athletes or other influencers, hey, uh, you need to be putting money away to pay your tax bill. Well, what about, so now they're, they're in college, they're you know, junior, senior year, about to go into, to, let's use football, you know, about to go into the NFL. If they're... You know, uh, we talked about this, the Heisman Trophy winner, right? Bryce Young. He's looking to start being entertained by NFL teams because he or if he or she has a huge following on social media, they're already making great ad dollars. Does that actually up their value to the professional team that's courting them? So you think about it, right? You, I'm a New Yorker through and through, right? And huge Giants fan and there's nothing like driving by and seeing Eli's big old head on a billboard, you know, <laughs> citizens watch the, the watch of the New York Giants, right? I giggle every time I drive by it. Like who made the decision to put his giant head on that giant billboard? <laughs> but, you know, I, I can't give him too much guff. He just came and did a great interview for us on sports. Not so it, it becomes uh, an asset to the team that they play for, right? And it becomes part of how things change over time when you go from a college athlete to a professional athlete and the strings that come attached to those contracts that you're signing. 
Because when you're signing that contract, you're saying that you're going to do events and marketing and you're going to work with the, the brands that sponsor the team. And so I think some of these contracts are going to be much, the, the negotiations are going to be much more thorough. And there's going to be carve outs and a lot more that goes into what an athlete is allowed to do post-college. And some athletes may go, hell, I'm going to make more money instead of being on the practice team or going undrafted to just keep doing this. Right. Um, and, and that's, you know, a thing, I mean, that one of the largest NIL, you know, athletes is, is actually a gymnast from LSU, you know, Olivia Dunn. And she's, said, look, I, I love being a student athlete. It's, it's, it's what I want to do, but I know sports isn't forever. And that this is the thing that's going to make me valuable going forward is my ability to, to represent brands and, and my message and my, my persona and who I am. And that's the most important thing to me. And, you know, when gym, you know, being a gymnast is over, what, what can I do next? And, you know, it's, it's different potentially for someone who's going to go sign a hundred million dollar contract, $200 million contract. Um, but it, at the end of the day, it comes back to dollars and cents and what the brands who are sponsoring an NFL team, you know, there's, there's a lot of arguments going on around uh, college bowl games that are being played in non-college stadiums that have sponsors, you know, MetLife stadium and there's a college bowl game there, the Binstrate bowl, right. Or, or whatever it may be. Um, that there's a conflict between the bowl sponsor and the stadium sponsor. They want to try and get those games back into college stadiums, but for television rights and alcohol sales, and there's a whole bunch of hoops that everybody has to jump through. And as athletes are on their way to the pros, this is just one of those. And I think it's going to come down to contract negotiations really, and whether it's worth it to the individual athlete. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, 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 you made me think of another thing where it brings um, revenue and a lot more money to some of these athletes who maybe aren't in a huge televised sport, you know, again, going back to mixed martial arts, I know, you know, UFC is very popular now, but you know, collegiate wrestling, you know, I, I wrestled since I was in, in grade school and there's the, the whole joke is that after college, there is no life. You, the, the WWE isn't really like, that's like, it's not really regular wrestling. And then the UFC is a completely different animal because it's full contact. So, you know, for the really good wrestlers, you'd kind of peak in college, but it, you make a good point. It's, it's, it, they're able to now monetize that in college and they may actually have a career, maybe just in social media and doing other things um, following that. It's, 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 uh, that's pretty cool. That's definitely. Or you cool. do what I do and find rugby instead. Um, <laughs> what, what it really comes down to is, and even if you look at, you know, you go back to the Reebok deal that, that the UFC did, right? Before the Reebok deal, all of the fighters had their own individual sponsors, right? And they were making a killing. And the UFC said, look, we're going to take a sponsorship from, from Reebok. In turn, we're going to pay you more, but you're not going to be able to have all these sponsors. And to a lot of the fighters that difference between what the UFC was paying them represented a massive pay cut. And so you're going to have a similar situation where someone's coming out of college with a whole bunch of sponsors going to a professional team. They're going to put a contract on the table and on a per year basis, 
there's going to have to be some amount baked in going, all right, you're making a million a year now. I'll pay you 1.25 to not do what you're doing, right? There has to be some above what you're currently doing to incentivize someone to not do it and to do whatever they're going to ask you to do for their brands and sponsors. Crazy. Well, as we, we kind of wind this down, Chris, are there any final thoughts or, or key takeaways you want to share with the audience as we, as we wrap it up today? I think when it comes to the athlete side, to the brand side, it, it really comes down to measuring, providing results and capitalizing on what works. And, you know, there's a lot of folks who will go out there and they will study every influencer that are out there. They'll look at the different platforms that they're on. They'll understand YouTube versus TikTok versus Instagram versus Facebook, versus Twitter. What's the goal of the advertiser, right? At the end of the day, the user who is viewing that content is the end goal, right? And so as an influencer, the goal of these folks is to try and amass as great a following as possible. Anytime you are doing something on a platform that is free, you are the commodity, right? And so should TikTok change its algorithm, we've seen Facebook and Google change their algorithms time and time and time again. And the influencer and the publisher are usually the ones left trying to figure out what happened and where all their revenue went. It's important for these folks to think about their own engagement platforms for their brand deals so that they have a way should, you know, Google go change its algorithm or Facebook or TikTok or where TikTok gets kicked out of the app store. The government comes in and just says, bye-bye, the Chinese own this, right? There, there is always a potential for something to come and disrupt a business, and it's important for these folks as they're growing their audiences to establish that real connection with their audience and to do it in a diversified way that like you invest, that should one bet go bad or an investment go bad, you're able to keep making money and keep going forward with your audience, regardless of the platform that you found. What a tie into my business, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I can. I do what I can. <laughs> well, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time, sharing all the knowledge. Uh, huge. Where can people go to find you, find out information about you and your company? Yeah, so we're at publisherdesk.com. Uh, like I said, we help small and medium sized content publishers. Uh, and check out sportsnot.com. It's uh, one of the quickest growing sports websites out there. We've got a, a stable of sports websites that we work with. Uh, that we help provide traffic to and, and monetization and, and give folks out there who want to get into sports journalism an opportunity to, to take a crack at it and get their thing going. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you to the listening audience for tuning in and be sure to click the subscribe button below to find out more about our next podcast. All right, everybody have a good one. Thank you for listening to the wealth style podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice.
George Papadakolo is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206. Compliance Approval 2022-144380 expires September of 2024.